0: Welcome to Leadership Works, the podcast focused on leadership in our challenging world. Now introducing your host, Dr. John Bedker, a leader, practitioner, and a scholar. It's a pleasure to have everyone on the Leadership Works podcast. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Works podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Bedker. So glad you're with us today. Today is the podcast in the second of a series of podcasts on Belarus. We'll try to talk about several other things as well, but Belarus is the focus. And I'm going to use my personal practice and certainly the conditions in the U.S. to make some comparisons, help you along the way in this understanding of Belarus. Let's talk about a book written by Doris Kearns Goodwin to start with, about leadership. It's called Leadership. has to do with several American presidents. Excellent book. I certainly recommend it. But she talks about leadership and leadership traits of these great presidents. She focuses on one in particular, the most important one, she states, and that is empathy. Now, my sort of understanding and and reading of that is really about listening, learning, and caring. Those would sort of be that three-legged stool for empathy in my life's work. Listening, learning, and caring. Well, Doris Kearns Goodwin talks about this empathy uh, in her book, Uh, At Length using it as key, in fact, critical leadership core competency. So we'll draw on that somewhat here in this second in the series of podcasts on Belarus. We'll also try to connect a little bit with a couple of other words, culture and identity. Now, these might not sound like key leadership words, but they are. Who you have been tells a story. It shows a direction. It leads one to better understand who they are currently. And as we go through life, we do a number of negotiations with ourself. Leaders do this all the time, not only with themselves, but those they lead. But there's always an effort to try to seek one's true self to be genuine, to be authentic, what many of us would call to be real. Okay, so the culture from whence someone comes, in this case, the country of Belarus, will help us to understand their identity, their true self, who they really are. And that'll give us more insight for this leadership journey. Okay, so gonna look at several axes, and again, I'll try to connect it to things in the United States we can relate to. Wanna be very clear, there's not an equivalency here. We're not trying to say one is the other or vice versa. We're just trying to better communicate, to tell this story. So what will we look at? Well, we'll look socially, we'll look politically, we'll look economically, And we'll look militarily at Belarus. Where it is and a little bit about how it got there. Now let me be clear from the get-go that there is a long and historic history that could be read with many, many details about Belarus. It is complicated, it's lengthy, it's involved, it certainly is nuanced. Um, So what I do here is literally a cameo. But hopefully it will communicate a message. So let's begin. Socially, where is Belarus? Well, one of those key factors, getting right to this culture and identity piece I touched on a minute ago, is language. That defines who a country is a little bit socially. Well, Russian is the language spoken at home by some 70% of the population of Belarus. Less than a quarter, less than 25% of the people of Belarus speak Belarusian at home. Wow. Well, that tells you something already about their connection, their historical culture, their historical leaning, and who they might see as their true self expressed in language. Again, this Russian language is spoken by nearly 70% of the population at home. What about religion? Well, the freedom of worship is granted by the Belarus Constitution. It's in there. But, and this is a key here, but religious organizations that the state which is to say the leader deems harmful to the state can be prohibited and have many times. So a bit of a contradiction written in the constitution, but prohibited if deemed inappropriate or harmful to the state. A little bit more about religion. About 60% of the people of Belarus state that they do, in fact, belong or are affiliated with this particular religion. 48% of those people are Orthodox Christians, far and away the largest group of uh, religious practitioners. About 7% are Catholic, and then small numbers of other Uh, religious uh, faiths as well. So about 60% adhering to some religious belief. Let's talk about size, scale. Belarus has a little over 9 million people, but not unlike other countries in the world, but the population is shrinking. The birth rate uh, is not sufficient to grow the population. So what do we learn here from this first sort of axis, the social axis? Well, we learn some things that are important about leadership. We learn about us versus them, who they are. Um, The Constitution may say one thing, but the practice may be different. So how does that come to be? Well. If a person said, it says this, that's honest, it is truthful, but then the state or its leaders corrupt it differently. Well, that's a real leadership challenge. Currently, there's over 1200 people jailed, on civil rights, human rights, because the leader Alexander Lukashenko has deemed that they may be harmful to the state. So a little bit of overview socially there. Let's now take a look politically. Belarus has had only one free election following its independence. This following the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Known as the last dictator in Europe, Alexander Lukashenko is the president of what is officially known as the Republic of Belarus. Following the adoption of its constitution in 1994, Lukashenko was elected. Previously unknown, but successful in the election, he instituted several of the Soviet-era policies. He was re-elected in 2001, 2006, 2010, 2015, and again in 2020. Several organizations around the world, have declared that none of these elections was determined to be either free or fair. In the 2020 elections, a lady by the name of Svetlana Siknaskaya was recognized by neighboring Poland and Lithuania as the rightful president, the winner of that 20 election. The EU, Canada, UK, the USA, all don't recognize Lukashenko's victory, at least his declared victory in 2020. So just a moment about this lady, Svetlana Sikneskaya. She ran for president after her husband was arrested. Well, there, there you go. Constitution might say one thing, but the practice is something very different, a serious leadership gap. She now lives in exile in Poland. Twice she's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. She has worked diligently to effect change, to bring honesty, to bring free and fair elections to Belarus. To have the will of the people, not the will of Lukashenko prevail. But now she has her own government in exile. 16 people are on her staff in Poland, representing each of the major directorates and departments of the government. If she had remained or if any of these people had remained and had challenged the election, confronted Lukashenko, this would be his opportunity to further repress, to arrest and exert more control. So politically, we find Belarus not in a good place. We find it with neither free nor fair elections, with an autocratic leader, a leader known as the last remaining dictator in Europe. So hopefully that tells a little bit about the political where we are in Belarus. Economically, well, Russia's a key player, not surprisingly, the leading trading partner to Belarus. For the Belarus economy, Russia accounts for about 55% of their imports and about 45% of Belarusian exports. Again, this slightly over 9 million people have a very low unemployment rate, government issuing numbers around 1%. Reality, truth may be a little bit closer to three to 4%, depending upon where you live, the sector you work in, other things, but still a very low unemployment rate. Another thing, and this is a real challenge, is its literacy rate. People age 15 and older, 99% of the population is literate. Well, that affects them economically. Your capacity to learn, to have learned, and to contribute is clearly impacted economically by literacy. What about health? Again, incredible number infant mortality 2.9 percent kind of make a quick comparison for some of you here in Russia it's 6.6 in the UK 3.7 in Belarus there are 41 doctors for every 10,000 people this has allowed Belarus to have one of the highest and most efficient healthcare systems in Europe. So what does all this translate to economically to the people, to the citizens of Belarus? Well, the average Belarusian makes about $450 a month. Yeah, think about that for a minute. Average Belarusian makes about $450 a month. This means that some in the rural areas make the minimum wage, which is about $120 a month. And some in the larger cities may earn upwards of $650 a month, which gets us to that average. So the people of Belarus do not make much money. Well, how does this work in a dictatorship? What's the role of leadership? Well, the role comes about from messaging. The messaging from the president, Lukashenko, is clear. He offers stability. He offers this low unemployment. He offers health care to all, heat, lights, work, food, these provide stability for the people of Belarus. He sells stability. Having spent a good amount of my time in Belarus in the city of Minsk, I can say that it's a very clean and a very safe city. Now people are at risk to be sure, but if you looked at the streets, you you don't see people that are homeless, you don't see people uh, panhandling, you see people working. Any person, young person, old person, male, female, could walk down any street and feel safe and secure. Now, at the breakup of the Soviet Union, the KGB went away. Well, everywhere except Belarus. In Belarus, the KGB still exists. And therefore, the law enforcement is quite real, quite present. So, there we have a little bit uh, about the economics and how the economics is impacted and how that messaging is sold to have the people of Belarus, in effect, buy the edict from their dictator. Let's finish with uh, militarily. And I'll do the sort of current cameo. There's a long, long history here again, but. In February of this year, 2022, Lukashenko agreed to allow President Putin of Russia to stage troops in Belarus for the invasion of Ukraine. Lukashenko then further went on to state that Putin could place Russian nuclear weapons on Belarusian soil. Now, this is an important relationship, a key and critical military relationship. One needs the other. Lukashenko perhaps needs Putin more than Putin needs Lukashenko, but they are codependent. One needs the other. Well, what happened when Russia then wanted to supply its troops after the invasion? Well, there's a train line that goes from Belarus into Ukraine. Well, in March of this year, the head of the Ukrainian railways, Alexander Kemshin, He closed that train line connecting Ukraine and Belarus, which eliminated Russia's capacity to supply, to have a supply line to the troops in Belarus. So, again, the leadership piece here. Lukashenko is the commander-in-chief. I mean, to to think about generals, uh, to think about leaders of units, divisions, really not consequential because Lukashenko decides and he largely decides what Putin tells him to decide he is the willing accomplice to Putin so very short very brief it's um, moments a cameo of socially politically economically and militarily where Belarus is today. Now each of these axes though does have an important story from a leadership perspective. I talked in the beginning about Doris Kearns Goodwin's book on leadership and government leaders, how she stressed empathy, the importance of empathy, leaders. And I think in just even the short cameo, you get the clear understanding that that empathy does not exist with the leader in Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko. Talk about culture and identity. A little more challenging axes here, because of the historical connections to and with Russia and the Soviet Union. It's not precise, but you can kind of draw a picture in your mind. If you think about a picture of Belarus and you think about the Eastern portion, that which abuts Russia, its neighbor to the East, those people are much more culturally and identifying as Russian. More in the central where the capital city, Minsk, is located, a little more divided, a little more Western, a little more forward thinking, certainly Western economically thinking, Western socially thinking. And then when you get to the Western regions of Belarus, um, Grodno, wonderful town, abutting the Polish border to the West, Belarus's neighbor to the West, you find much more Westernized ideas, much more Westernized economy. And that tells a story about Belarus as well. Well, I want to talk about what all this means for us. Does it have a connection? Certainly no equivalency. I absolutely don't want to even suppose that, but is there some sort of story, something that we can be learning as leaders? Well, I've often used in my practice an assessment tool called the Leadership Practices Inventory. Kuzas and Posner developed a tool. Again, I've used it often. It's to assess leaders. To understand strengths and opportunities for growth. Challenges they may have. What I call arrows in a quiver, okay? Leadership competencies. We all have competencies, but which ones are particularly strong with you, with me, with us? And which ones could we develop and get better at? Well, the LPI does that in its own analytic way. So let's talk about that here just for a quick minute. First is modeling the way. Well, in the US, we have a real challenge there because the American values, the things that made us American, our values, our principles are being challenged. There are those that would like to deconstruct the state, those that think that only certain Americans should be here, that only certain Americans should have rights and others should have supra rights. We are not modeling the way in a way that we could, in a way that we should, and in Belarus we see the fruits of that, does not matter what that constitution may say, the president will determine the way. The people, and the leadership in particular, are not modeling the way. We are in danger of that ourselves. There is a challenge to our democracy. We need to model the way of a democracy. Next, the LPI talks about inspiring a shared vision. Well. Again, here in the US, we don't share a vision often. We have polarity. We have tribalism. And it's become more and more pronounced, regardless of the events. Mass shootings, as an example, didn't draw us together, put us further apart. The same in Belarus. We see the in-game of not Having a shared vision. Political prisoners, civil rights, human rights, the elimination of free and fair elections, something very much in the forefront of discussion here in the United States. We don't share a vision about free and fair elections. Well, in Belarus, we see the end game of that. Next, the LPI talks about and measures one's challenge of processes. Challenging the process. Well, we might challenge things, but our form of government stymies us. We are in a position in our federal government where the minority can affect the majority by not being able to undo a filibuster, by having certain Democrats Joe Manchin in particular, scuttle a democratic agenda, to have the Republicans vote with unanimity, with absolute clear messaging, however untruthful, misinformation, disinformation with regularity. People that challenge the process are chastised, well, In Belarus, we see that. We see people being put in jail for challenging the process. What about enabling others to act? Well, in Belarus, the very definition of an autocracy and a dictatorship is, no, we don't do that. Are we headed there also in the United States? What are our leaders doing about that? And lastly, the LPI talks about in measures as those that are encouraging the heart. Very, very important construct for leaders to encourage the heart. Well, I do think President Biden attempts to do that, but the messaging, oh my goodness, and the execution, oh my goodness. The Republicans, on the other hand, Discourage the heart. A woman's right to choose. Absolutely not. In fact, that's just the beginning. Maybe we should go further to take away more reasons for our being. So, we have made this analogy between us and them. Between where the United States is and is headed. And where the in game could be. Belarus. Not an equivalency yet, absolutely not. But how are we modeling the way? How are we inspiring a shared vision? How are we challenging the process? How are we enabling others to act? How are we encouraging the heart? These are very important leadership core competencies. Failing them leads to an autocracy. We must be aware of that as leaders. Okay, folks, there's Series 2 in the Belarus Series. I am so grateful you tuned in. Thank you for listening. See you soon. Thank you all for tuning in. We sincerely hope you will tune in again to the Leadership Works podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, and, of course, we hope you will subscribe and be a regular listener. Again, thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Works podcast. Have a great day.